If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look there today. I know I've told you this before, but my dad was a fireman for many years. And I think maybe that's part of the reason why fire's always been fascinating to me. I just recently learned the largest wildfire in recorded history is known as the Great Fire of 1910, also referred to as the Big Blow-Up. If you can imagine, it burned about 3 million acres, the size of Connecticut. And in two days, it burned land from northeast Washington to northern Idaho to western Montana. It burned for two days, killing 87 people, including 78 firefighters. It's still believed to be the largest fire recorded in history. But you know, today, if, if you were to go to that area in northeast Washington and northern Ohio and Montana, all the evidence of that fire is gone. I mean, you won't, you won't see any evidence whatsoever to prove that there was a fire there just over 100 years ago. But there's another fire that started 2,000 years ago. It was a different kind of wildfire, and it's still burning today. Some places in this world burning hotter and brighter than ever before. And it was sparked by the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the church. See, we're in this series called Where It All Began, and, and we're looking at where the church began, right? Where the fire that, that started the early church, and we're asking the question today, what does a church set on fire by God's Spirit look like? How does it function? How does it act? How, how do you know the fire's burning? And so today we look in Acts chapter 2. Now, by way of review, remember we're looking at the earliest moments of church history on record. I mean, we just witnessed the birth of the first church. The fire of God's Spirit fell on his disciples, and they went out into the streets, and they preached the gospel, and 3,000 people in one day came to faith in Christ and were baptized. And so now we have thousands of new believers, and no building to meet in, no pastor to lead them, no bylaws to guide them, no creeds, no codes, n not even the complete Bible yet. All they had was faith in the Son of God, and a fire that was ignited by the Spirit of God. We're looking at the charter membership of the first church in history. These 3,000 converts needed to be instructed in the truth of God. They needed to be connected with people of God if they were going to grow in the grace of God, if they were going to be what God intended them to be. And see, why is this important? Well, see, once that fire is lit, it's our job as, as followers of Jesus, to make sure it continues to burn. Oh, beginning in verse 42, God gives us this snapshot of a church that was hitting on all eight cylinders. And we're going to see that this church basically was allowing one thing to happen, and that was to allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn bright. So what does a church look like when it allows the Holy Spirit to burn in them? Well, first, they're a church committed to the truth. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
The first thing this early church decided they were going to do was devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were going to build their lives around the teaching of God's word. They were going to look at it, listen to it, learn from it, live by it. They were going to get under the complete authority of scripture in every part of their life. And for the early church, there was no separation of Sunday and Monday. Every aspect of their life was brought under the authority of God's word. They were going to do life by the book. And you see, you realize what I'm doing up here this morning is something we do every single Sunday, right? We come together in church. It's the same thing that, that, that billions of people are doing around the world when they go to church. We take this book, the same book, and we preach from it, and we study it, and we learn from it week in and week out to a group of people that come together for the express purpose of hearing the word of God taught. I mean, Islam doesn't do this. Buddhism doesn't do this. Hinduism doesn't do this. No, a church where the fire is burning brightly is a church centered around the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Paul was trying to teach a young man named Timothy on how to pastor a church the right way. And and this is what he said in 1 Timothy 4. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, why would any church be so consistently devoted to hearing a message from the same book week in and week out? I think it's because the wisdom of God makes human wisdom look foolish. Because one day a week with this book will change our life more than anything else. And because this book alone has answers to the greatest questions. So we will be committed to the truth. The second mark is we will be compassionate to the needy. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. You know, nothing astonished the outside unbelieving world more than when they looked into the life of the church and they saw this. I mean, the culture of that day, exactly the same as our culture today, right? Dog eat dog, every man for himself, look out for number one, get out of my way. Everyone is on their own. But you see the polar opposite of that here in the early church. Voluntarily, on their own, they were moved by the Spirit of God. And this was a church looking out for one another, meeting each other's needs, sharing with one another, caring for one another. They were more interested in giving than they were receiving. They were more excited about serving others than who was going to serve them. And see, when that fire burns bright and we share the heat of God's love with those that are living in the cold and we share the light of God's truth with those living in darkness, that's what the church was created to be. And this was a church that understood that when you hear someone's stomach growling, you share your food. When you see somebody shivering, you share your coat. It amazes me sometimes to think the early church sold everything they had, put it in a basket, then passed the basket around and said, here, take anything you need. Now understand, when you read this in the original Greek language, this wasn't something they did permanently. It's not something required of all of us. But it tells us the kind of spirit that we'll have 
when the fire of the Holy Spirit burns in our hearts. It's the spirit we find in Romans chapter 15. This is what Paul said, verse 2. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You know why that's so foreign to us? Our culture is driven to individualism and it cuts the heart out of compassion and caring. I mean, think about it. From an early age, uh, our society teaches us we've we got to have things our way, make sure our needs are catered to. But the biblical picture is not a picture of what people are getting from the church. It's a picture of what people are giving to the church. And you know what happens when, when you take your time and your energy and you quit focusing on your own needs and you focus on the needs of others? You know what happens? We'll all have our needs met together. Because God will bring someone into your life that can meet your needs. I mean, you have needs that I can meet, but, but you can't. I have needs that, that you can meet, but, but I can't. And together, we meet each other's needs. Now, let's state the obvious here. Did it cost the early church to do this? Absolutely. But when you give up something you have to give to someone else, you're sacrificing everything you have. But when you do a cost-benefit analysis of serving others, you always find the benefit far outweighs the cost. Acts 2.46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, sincere hearts. This was a happy, excited, enthusiastic church because they had learned the greatest joy in life, the greatest achievement, the greatest benefit in life comes when you sacrifice yourself for someone else. And when the fire burns brightly, we'll be compassionate towards those in need. We'll also be connected in community. See, remember, these converts, they were Jewish. So they were accustomed to going to the temple and worshiping the Lord together. They were familiar with being in congregation. But now God is trying to move them to this deeper level from congregation to community. From just being members to true fellowship. Listening again to verse 44 in a different translation, it says, all the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other. That, that's what friends do, isn't it? Fr friends meet together. They, they share together. They care about one another. And this took place day by day. That's something they've never really done before. I mean, people were meeting for worship and for prayer and for fellowship in their homes each day. Peter gave this very strange command in 1 Peter 4.9. He said, open your homes to each other. Now, why did God have the early church meet in homes? I mean, why was he breaking up this large group of, of thousands of new converts into small groups meeting in homes? Why, why didn't he want them all gathering together outside the temple courts? I think because fellowship will never turn into friendship in a crowd. I mean, if you didn't realize this, the early church met in homes for about the first 300 years of its existence. And you know, homes are small. Homes back then were, were very small. 
So beginning with the early church, churches were really nothing more than what you would call a, a collection of small group. Long before the church had baptistries and worship centers and pulpits, they had kitchens. They had dinner tables. Because God understood there's a need in each one of our lives for community, for fellowship. And that's important today because our society sets us up to be isolated. I mean, think about it. How how do we communicate with each other today? How many of us use these things? Our phones. So we can type text messages, right? We can text to each other. We can tweet each other. We can email each other. We do everything electronically so we don't have to physically talk or see one another. More and more, face-to-face interaction and communication goes by the wayside. And what else is going by the wayside is old-fashioned hospitality. It's no accident that hospitality and hospital come from the same Latin word because they both do the same thing, healing. I mean, think about it. When you open the door of your home to someone, you know what you're telling them? You're saying, you matter to me. You matter to God. You're saying, I want to invest part of my life into your life. And in fact, it, it goes even deeper because when you invite someone into your home, what you're telling them is, for this time in your life, you're part of my family. In light of that, listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is family. It's not a building. It's not an organization. It's not a club. It's not an institution. It's not just a place we go. Church is not just, oh, well, it's Sunday morning at 9.30. I got to go on to church. No, church is a family that we belong to. And it's easy to spot family that truly loves one another, isn't it? There's one telltale sign. It's they love to be together in community. And there's nothing that helps that fire burn brighter than when you bring coals together. The final mark of a church is we will be concerned for unbelievers. See, notice how this picture ends. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If that last verse were not there, you would have thought the picture was all about the people inside the church. But it's not. The greatest result of that fire burning brightly is not for the benefit of the people inside the church. It's for the people outside. Consider the genius in this plan of God's. The first generation of Christians, they they were a turnover basket of different cultures and backgrounds, at least 15 different nationalities. And Jews stood next to Gentiles and men worshiped next to women and the rich sat next to the poor. And they did this without the benefits of buildings and budgets and land. And, and they did it because they were attracted by, to the fire of the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, how are people being saved every day? It wasn't by osmosis, right? It wasn't by accident or, or coincidence or magic. Listen to what he says, verse 32. God had raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Every day, these early Christians lived their lives, going about their business, and they witnessed to what Christ had done to them. Because the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. It affected their daily life. Right, verse 46, and day by day, attending temple together, breaking bread in their homes. Verse 47 said, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early church wasn't just church on Sunday. It was church every day. They had a fire that burned bright 24-7. In fact, you could say that the fire moved them to seek God and serve others and share Jesus. This church was not so preoccupied with just coming together on Sunday that they forgot about the rest of the week. They, they came together to reignite that fire so that they could leave separately, taking that fire with them. So understand this. If, if we contain a fire, it'll die. But if we let it out, it spreads. So here's the question I end with. Does the fire of God burn brightly in your heart? Does the fire of God burn brightly here in our church? It will be if we continue to study God's word daily. If we meet together, meeting the needs of others, encouraging, fellowshipping with one another. If we share the ways that God gives us with those who don't know him. With our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers. Those who don't believe. So may the fire in this church and in our hearts burn brighter than it ever has. And you know that fire begins to burn when we surrender everything to God. When we give our lives to him. So is that what you need to do this morning? Surrender your life to him? If it is, I invite you to come. 